Good morning. It's uh, great to see everyone's faces. Uh, and uh, we're glad you could join us. If you're guests, welcome. Uh, we're glad you're here. Now the lights are up and I can't really see faces, so um, I'll keep trying. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, uh, my name is Aaron Robertson, along with my wife Erica and our four kids. Uh, we've been coming to Hope for about 11 years, uh, the last two or so, which are here in Columbia Heights. So uh, we love being here and we're thankful for that. So uh, as Phil mentioned, Drew is gone, uh, which means uh, I get to preach. And so before anyone runs for the door... Uh, I'll be shorter than last time. Last time was my first time and I was kind of nervous and babbled, so uh, I'll keep it shorter. So uh, we're going to continue today in Ephesians and first, Drew wanted me to make this announcement. Uh, We have baptisms coming up on May 22nd uh, and that is a time for us to uh, celebrate with those uh, who are choosing to publicly declare their faith in God, trust in him for their salvation. And so uh, it's going to be a great time. If you're interested in being baptized, uh, you can talk to me today or you can email Drew. Uh, I think it's drew at hopecc.com. And uh, we'd love to talk to you about that. Um, so we're continuing today in Ephesians. And uh, I don't know if you've picked up on this as we've been going through the book, but Ephesians is a book of contrast. It's a book of opposites. Um, It is filled with all these spiritual realities, these opposites that Paul wants us to understand as being fundamental to who we are in Christ. Uh, Okay, so... In relationships, uh, they say opposites attract, right? Uh, It's true in my marriage. Uh, I know for Eric and I, it's true. Uh, There are two kinds of people in this world, uh, those who love Neil Diamond and those who don't. (laughs) My wife loves him. Uh, So in today's passage and in Ephesians, that's a line from uh, What About Bob? If uh, she doesn't really love Neil Diamond, Um, she might secretly. Um, but uh, today's passage, Paul's going to make clear that the opposites that he's talking about are not ones that attract. They're actually mutually exclusive. They're fighting against one another. And this has been the case all through Ephesians. And so I just want to give you a quick rundown of all these opposites, all these paired opposites that uh, Paul has taken us through in Ephesians. So being made alive or being dead, chosen by God, children of wrath, life in the spirit, life in the flesh, Saved by grace or condemned by our works, circumcised and uncircumcised, being brought near or being separated, being fellow citizens of the covenant, being aliens and strangers, being one new man created in Christ and being two peoples, uh, having peace or having hostility, being fellow heirs together uh, in one body or being strangers to the covenants and promises of God, uh, having mature fullness in Christ or being children tossed about about by every wind and wave of doctrine, being renewed in our minds by the Spirit, or having futile and darkened minds. And then last week, uh, we brought in the new one, uh, the new self in Christ and the old self. Uh, So it's really important to see that these opposites and the ones that we look at today, they're all about identity and about spiritual reality. They all represent states of being, truths of who we are. And uh, each one of these could be an I am uh, statement. So I am made alive in God. I am 
living in the spirit. They're all identity kind of things. Uh, And it's important for us to see that. Uh, A lot of times in Ephesians and other books around these kind of opposites, we'll have some moral, behavioral kind of uh, things to take note of. But the primary emphasis, and especially today, I want us to get this. The primary emphasis is always on identity in Christ and what he has done. Uh, So, their tendency is to kind of make lists of do's and do nots, right? Uh, But that's not what today's passage is about. So we're going to dive in here today, Ephesians 5, if you have your Bibles. Otherwise, there it is. Uh, So, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. That there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this. So I got to make sure the slides are the same as what I'm reading. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the children of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. For when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Uh, So as we get into this passage, I've mentioned it already, but I want to give a word of caution. Uh, When we read a book like Ephesians uh, and others that have kind of some lists of some moral things, some behavioral things we're supposed to pay attention to, uh, we can quickly assume that what we primarily need to learn is what to do and don't do, right? We might make a quick tally of the ways we've failed. Oh, I didn't do that one. Didn't do, oh, I'm good on this one. You know, might take that kind of internal tally. Or we might divide people into those groups. Well, they're definitely this, and I'm definitely this, right? Uh, and that's because our hearts are just so naturally inclined to law, to rules. We kind of just want to, we want to know what to do, right? And uh, the point of this passage and others like it, is not for us to create standards for ourselves that will inevitably create guilt or shame or fear when we mess up, right? Uh, What we want to know right up front, uh, we want to get things right, we want to create lists. Here's the the news flash, we don't get it right, right? We all know this, we don't get it right. Uh, We have ways we we mess up where, um, you know, we, we just don't get it. We'll continue to fail, we have failed, uh, and, and that's just uh, part of reality. So this passage is not about behavior, but it's about identity. Um, so Paul bases everything off of the two opposite spiritual realities that we're going to look at today. Because um, of this, not all the verses will get equal treatment. Uh, and then I'm going to do something a little bit different. Uh, rather than going verse by verse um, through the passage, I want to go 
I want to draw a picture of these two identities or realities that are in the passage. Uh, and it's because in the verse by verse, it kind of goes back and forth and back and forth. And it's a little, I think it's a little easier to kind of see it when you kind of group them together. So uh, we're going to jump into this, right? Identity number one, uh, we are beloved children. We're children of right? and This is who, did I do that? Hmm? Uh, this is who we are, right? In, in Christ, okay? Uh, children of light, beloved children. They walk in love, they walk in light. They imitate God, as we see in verse one. They have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. They expose darkness. They bring things out into the light. They produce fruit according to what is good and right and true, and they're full of thanksgiving. Uh, the other reality, the other identity that we see at play in this verse is, uh, I've called it children of disobedience. It's the closest to a, a label I could come from the passage. Uh, but children of disobedience, they live according to the flesh and the old self. That's what we talked about last week was uh, living according to the flesh, uh, putting off the old self, living in the new self. They walk in darkness. Uh, from Ephesians 2, they imitate the prince of the power of air. Their inheritance is the wrath of God. They're filled with guilt, shame, and fear. Uh, they produce unfruitful works of darkness, and they're both deceived and deceivers. Um, so that all mostly comes from our passage today. There's two things that uh, came from earlier in Ephesians. Um, the tricky part with this, we can see those two identities, and we can kind of divide the world, right? There's this group of people and that group of people. And there's a certain sense in which that's true, right? Uh, but it's actually something that's in play within individuals. We both have these things within ourselves. So even pop culture gets this right, right? We've all kind of seen these sort of images. Uh, I don't know what it says about our culture. I, I could only find men, uh, male characters that, that, that we're dealing with this reality. Even Spider-Man isn't immune uh, to the voices, you know, good, bad, good, evil. Um, so even pop culture kind of gets some of this reality, right? Um, but it's important to know Paul is writing this to believers. He's writing this to people that are trusting in Christ, following Christ, right? Uh, and he knows that both of these things are actually at work in each and every believer. Uh, those who don't follow Christ really only have the one identity, right? And common grace and other things kind of work that maybe kind of balance it out. But uh, it's only in believers where both of those are, are really present. Um, and uh, we know that we both have a fallen nature, the flesh, the old self, that whole list of things that I should. I'll try not doing that anymore. <laughs> uh, and then we have the new new self, the, 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 the uh, life in the spirit, right? Um, so where do I get this idea that uh, these both are in us? Actually, Paul does this in a lot of places. We just looked at putting off the old self, putting on the new life in the spirit versus life in the flesh. And one of my favorite passages, uh, this is from Romans 7. It's, it's a kind of Dr. Seuss tongue twist, right? I've been kind of reading through my script and I've not yet made it through without messing up uh, here we go. Romans 7. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. 
Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. That's the first time I've made it through correctly without messing up my do's and do nots. We can applaud that. It might be the best you get today. Uh, all right, so this is Paul himself kind of confessing. I got this kind of inner turmoil, right? I've got this flesh and I've got the spirit and they're kind of at battle and I don't do what I want to do and I do what I don't want to do. That's uh, these, these two spiritual realities uh, playing out in us. And Paul comes back to this over and over and over in his writing, how the gospel of Jesus Christ and how the work of the Holy Spirit have changed us into something new. But along the way, he acknowledges that there's not often a clean break from the old to the new, right? The process we call sanctification is actually the process of allowing the word and allowing the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, to guide us in forming our identity more and more and more around the likeness of Christ. Uh, so truly understanding our identity in Christ always precedes any moral or behavioral change that Christ might work in us, all right? So that, that's that uh, identity formation. I did it again. Uh, so let's take a closer look at this identity here uh, that, oh, you're not supposed to see that one yet, all right? We're going to uh, take a closer look at what Paul is talking about here in this passage, these identities. Uh, and to get us into that, I'm going to revisit our question about doppelgangers. Uh, so the first time I heard the word was on a Facebook doppelganger day. Uh, in its early days and when I was excited to be on there and it was kind of fun and lighthearted, right? But I had a friend message me and he said, I reminded him of Donnie Wahlberg, uh, which sounds great, but sadly, I reminded him of Donnie Wahlberg in a very specific movie. Uh, you might not remember it, but he was in Sixth Sense. Uh, he was the disturbed and emaciated former patient uh, that shot Bruce, Bruce Willis's character, Right? Uh, standing in his underwear in Bruce Willis's room, not a flattering comparison. That's what my friend saw me, right? You look like him, right? Uh, my earliest and my probably strongest memory of wanting to imitate someone else uh, goes back to a classic Gatorade commercial. Those of you under probably 35 might not remember it as nearly, but uh, sometimes I dream that he is me. Anyone? You've got to know that's how I dream to be. I dream I move, I dream I groove like Mike, if I could be like Mike. So countless hours in my driveway, shooting and dribbling and pretending I'm cool, right? Uh, and in my mind, but definitely not in reality, uh, anyone walking by or driving by, looking up in my driveway would have said, man, that kid moves and grooves like Mike, right? Like in my mind, that, I, I was Mike, I was like Mike. Uh, that wasn't the case, right? Uh, these days, my doppelgangers, I've got several of them. I've got three brothers, and uh, we all look too much alike, more and more alike as we get older. Uh, and we're having a competition to see who goes bald first, and uh, it won't be my dad, sadly. Um, so we're, we're all kind of a little bitter about that. Um, but I never ended up being a good imitation of Michael Jordan, a uh, very forgettable basketball career. Uh, shouldn't even be called a career. I don't bear any resemblance to Donnie Wahlberg. And uh, within my family, I, you can see, I, I bear some uh, resemblance. I've actually been identified as a Robertson by someone from behind that just saw me walking. <laughs> just saw my, my gait and my pace. Oh, you must be a Robertson. Yeah kind of stuck with it, right? But uh, this Ephesians 5 passage has been so good for me because it's 
given me a much better doppelganger to kind of pursue, to mold myself, to shape myself after, right? Uh, so in Ephesians 5, right, uh, Paul calls us to uh, make sure that God is our doppelganger. Uh, this is really tough work, right? All of our advertising, all, most of politics, nearly everything on social media is trying to build something on our identity, trying to get us to claim something, to, to be like someone, to look like someone, to model ourselves after someone. We want to be in the right tribe. We want to look like our ideal celebrity, have the right haircut, uh, or we want others to know that we believe the right things, that we're behind the right causes, right? This is all identity stuff. I want to be known as the person who does this or looks like this or has these things. Uh, it's all over the place in our culture. Um, but Paul calls us to be imitators of God as beloved children. Uh, what he wants us to do, and I apologize for singing again, but to dream we move, to dream we groove like God, if we could be like God, right? Paul wants us to look like God. Um, it's, it's crazy, right? Uh, so when we consider the identity of that, it's important to note the qualifier on children, right? It's beloved children, he says. Uh, he doesn't want us to imitate God as dutiful children, right? We read in the prodigal son about the older brother who ends up bitter and callous towards his dad and his brother because he only ever lived out of duty and not out of love, right? And it doesn't say be, uh, obey, imitate God as uh, children of an angry or a spiteful or a bitter or a petty father. He's a loving father, right? It's important that we know that. So we're told that we're beloved children and uh, the importance of understanding this can't be overstated. The rest of the passage, the rest of the book and the whole of the gospel depend on our knowing the height and depth and length and breadth of God's love for us. Every fiber of our being, every nook and cranny of our soul, every laugh and every tear is precious and beloved by God. So to imitate God, to walk in love, to walk in light, as we're reading about today, we have to first root ourselves in the unshakable love of God. So let's think for a minute about being a beloved child, right? Little ones, and you can go out to the nursery right now or across to the gym, little ones, they cry out for mom and dad because of separation anxiety, right? They love to be with mom and dad. Uh, children that understand a parent's love, they run to their parents' arms, unabashed. You know, they run and jump in. My son just came in and saw me and he's too heavy to jump into my arms anymore, but he did it, right? Uh, and they bring their tears, their joys, their triumphs and their tragedies straight to their parents, at least when they're little, uh, because they can think of no one better to share it with. It's the reason we as parents keep their horrible art on the uh, refrigerator, right? And why we uh, keep their ugly pinch pots to hold loose change and keys. Uh, it's because it's made in love and we delight in our children, right? Uh, and it's a beautiful thing to, to behold. And also think, so beloved children, they love to be with their parents. They love to imitate their parents too, right? Have you ever been around a baby and you sit and make silly faces and you make all the noises, you do all the silly things, trying to get that baby, that little one to imitate, to, to smile. You smile and you laugh and you do all these things because you know that they're going to copy you, right? Uh, and uh, this happens good, bad, or otherwise. Kids will duplicate uh, everything they see from their parents. I, I remember the first time uh, this came crashing home for me in a negative way. 
uh, and maybe other parents have had this experience, but uh, my eldest, she was sitting in her booster seat. Uh, she was at the table, and I walk into the kitchen, and I had some food, and I had like applesauce or yogurt and you know stuff that would make a mess if you spilled it, and I spilled it uh, all across the table, huge mess, right? And uh, I, I uttered a slightly unsavory word, uh, now, I had thought, I mumbled it under my breath so only the Lord and I would hear it, right? Uh, but when I came back into the dining room, uh, I had my rags to clean up my daughter that was there loudly and repeatedly sharing her new vocabulary. Uh, and I was like, oh, I kind of got to watch what I say uh, a little more, right? Um, but kids love to imitate their parents, right? Um, now, this is kind of tricky because the parent-child relationship that Paul talks about can be a hard one for, for many people to draw much hope from. Uh, our own stories can be filled with pain or bitterness or anger, uh, rejection, heartache, a lot of things when we consider our parents. Um, and even, uh, even those with the best of parents, kids even with the best of parents, they, they keep a list, a growing list, I think, of all the ways they swear they're not going to be like their parents. Uh, did anyone else have a, a list like this growing up? I'm not going to do that. I'll never do that. Uh, I've got a, a 13-year-old and an 11-year-old daughter, and their lists have never been longer, uh, I don't think, right? Um, but regardless of our own histories with parents or as parents, God repeatedly uses this relationship to describe his relationship with us. Uh, the reason is that it is the most profound and significant identity that we have. Um, every single person is born with it as a child of their parents, and everyone goes to the grave carrying that identity. doesn't matter anything else that haps, happens in life. You carry those from cradle to grave, right? Um, and no other relationship has the formative kind of impact on our identities. Um, so if you, your story has pain from parents, uh, God sees that, he knows and he wants to redeem that. He wants you to know his love. Uh, verse two in Ephesians points to, uh, points to this, right? It shows us that what God has done in Christ is so much greater than any love that any of the best of parents have shown us. God so desires for us to be secure in him, to find our identity in him, to know his love, that he sent his son to die in order for us to get that security. First uh, John encourages us on this point. Yeah, First John 3 encourages us on this point, right? You, some of you maybe know this, uh, this, uh, this verse, the song, behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, right? That we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. I love this verse. Behold the love. Pay attention to, consider and wonder upon, contemplate this love of God. Let your breath be taken away by this love of God. It really is that big, and it is that good. Paul is reminding us, in Ephesians, that God's love is so powerful that it actually gives us a new identity. Uh, and I, I've gotten out of order here, so I'm going to back up. So uh, what I love about verses one and two is they actually give us a double dose of our identity 
as beloved children. In a sense, they show us God's love for us both in creation and in redemption and restoration. So if you look at verse one, it's actually a verse that God very easily could have spoken to Adam and Eve in the garden. He creates them in his image and he commissions them to fill the earth with his image as his image bears, right? You can see God in the garden saying, be imitators of me as beloved children. Before sin ever entered in the world, that was his relationship to us, right? And uh, then verse two doubles down on our identity as beloved children, right? It points us to the cross. It points us to the gospel in a John 3.16 kind of way to show us how deep his love is. He sent his son to die for us to redeem and restore that identity as his children. All right, so I'm belaboring this point uh, because it's so, so critical for us to know being conformed to the image of Christ and having our identity reshaped by the truth of the gospel begins with knowing the unfathomable magnitude of God's love. Uh, and actually, when you know that, when you know that, you know that, you know that in the depth of your being, uh, the rest of the passage is, is much easier to make sense and, and to kind of process, right? Um, beloved children that have tasted the grace and the mercy and the goodness and forgiveness of our loving Father delight in imitating him. Uh, so I know in my life there have been times where imitating God has seemed burdensome, uh, where turning from sin has been hard. Uh, and every one of those instances, every season of life like that, I can always pull out a current of thought and feeling that I am unloved or unlovable. I can struggle to know and to live according to my identity as a beloved child. So when we do not consider this identity as a beloved child at the core of our being, when we're not fully internalizing that love of God for us, things go poorly. We act in ways contrary to that identity. We fall back into the ways of the flesh and the old self. This is what we've seen over and over in Ephesians is these two things. And Paul encouraging over and over and over, right? Be this new creation. Be this new self. Walk in the spirit. Walk in love. Walk in light. Um, so we can just consider even just the, the few things in the passage, behavioral things, uh, sexual immorality, filthy and foolish talk, crude joking, impurity, covetousness, right? Uh, we can look at those and I, I hope, I don't think uh, I'm the only one who can find at least one of these that uh, I mess up regularly, right? There, there's some uh, covetous, there's some, you know, whatever it is, it, it comes out, right? Uh, and I can echo Paul's sentiments of not doing what I want to do and doing what I don't want to do. Uh, that's those two realities at play in me. Um, so the importance of this two identities really comes to the forefront and we consider the relationship to those. For those of us that follow Christ, when the old self, when the flesh shows up, how do we respond? Right? When that covetousness, when that idolatry, when that impurity, when, when those things show up, how do we respond? Um, for me, there's certain seasons of life and there's certain sins uh, where I have done exactly what Adam and Eve did in the garden, right? Uh, exactly what Adam and Eve did. I allow fear, I allow shame, I allow guilt to drive me from God. I hide and I allow the condemnation of the flesh to bear down on me. Uh, but when we understand our identity as children of God, we begin to understand that the guilt, the shame, and the fear have been dealt with, right? 
all those things that drive us to darkness, all those things that are behind these lists of behaviors, these moral things, it's uh, because we're driven into shame, right? And verse here, verse two here is to remind us that the flesh and the old self no longer have power over us, right? Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's an amazing thing. All right, so you need to hear that again. As a beloved child, your guilt, your shame, your fear have been dealt with on the cross. When they show up, when you look at some of these things in here and you feel that guilt, you feel it, it's been dealt with on the cross, right? Uh, so what do we do with the bulk of this passage that deals with these sins to be avoided and it calls for us to uh, respond, not partner with them, to reject those things? Uh, what do we do with all the rest of this passage, right? Uh, those sinful behaviors in our lives and in other lives and our responses to them are to be marked. Try that. All right, we'll go with this. It's easier on everyone. All right. So those sinful behaviors, thank you, uh, by the way, um, and the responses to them are to be exactly what we see in this, right? Beloved children, we respond with love. Um, we're to be active in living in God's love so that we can live out God's love. Uh, we're to rest in him, trust in him, surrender in him. Over and over and over, we're to remind ourselves of our identity as beloved children whose God loved them to the point of death on a cross. Uh, in drinking in the grace of God, we can allow his perfect love to cast out our fear. He's safe. He's safe for us to go to. We can allow the love demonstrated on the cross to have the final say on the guilt and shame that we carry. Scorn the shame. Leave that guilt behind at the foot of the cross. That is your identity. Uh, similarly, those who have had God's light shine on them are to walk in the light. Uh, now, walking in the light is not a passive thing, right? If you've uh, ever had a flashlight, use your cell phone, you have to move it, right? You have to shine it into places to reveal what's there. It's not a passive thing to bring light into places. Uh, it involves actively seeking to let God's penetrating light into our hearts and minds, right? Uh, this applies both to the darkness in our own hearts and minds and our own souls, the darkness in our relationships, but also to the darkness in the world, right? And that's what this passage calls us to, expose what's in the darkness, bring it out into the light. Um, and uh, that's another contrast, right? Another one of our opposites, dark and light. And we're supposed to bring things into the light. Where Christ's light shine, darkness runs. Uh, so when we understand that we are children of light, we'll be persistent in bringing things that linger in the darkness into the light. Uh, I've been through a lot of counseling. I've been through a lot of other things to help myself learn how to do this, a lot of pastoral care. Uh, it takes work to bring things into light. There's something, there's a stuckness to the darkness sometimes, and, and uh, it takes work. But I want to encourage you that uh, God is there for you in that. Um, and actually, as we move this identity as a beloved child into the center of our being, it actually becomes natural to live in light and love. Imitating God becomes desirable, uh, just the same as acts of the flesh will become detestable. Uh, so Paul's encouragement here is not to manage a list of sins, 
It's not making sure we don't break any rules. He isn't primarily after good behavior, and neither is God. What Paul is pointing out and what God desires for us is that we should rest in what Christ has done and what the Spirit is doing. He desires for us to truly understand the depth of his love and to know that our identity is secure in him. Uh, So the sins mentioned in this passage and others are important right? Our, our passage actually tells us that, right? Do not be deceived by thinking that they don't matter. They matter. Our sin is actually painful to God. It costs him his son to deal with it, but it has been dealt with, right? Remember that it has been dealt with. So the guilt, the fear, the shame that should accompany sin are no longer in play for those who follow Christ. He loves you and he wants that love to transform you so you're no longer enslaved to that sin, Confess that sin, repent of it, and then run to God who is rich in mercy. Uh, take the presence of sin in your life as a sign that you have to work some work to do in shaping your identity around Christ. Uh, don't do behavioral work. God doesn't just want us to follow a list of things. He wants us to do that deeper identity work. Find yourself in Christ. Understand that love of God towards you. Um, and uh, do that work. So I'm going to close by reading First uh, John 3, 1 through 3. And I'm going to read, I, I just did the first part before, but um, the fuller passage here is, is a near duplicate of some of the themes we've talked about today, right? Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Um, I'm not really good with application questions, because uh, every time I do them, I end up kind of, uh, they end up pointing towards a list of do's and don'ts. Uh, application questions can kind of do that for us. We're uh, like, okay, what do I need to do? At the end of the sermon, at the end of the day, what does I need to take home and start doing in my life? Uh, So take these questions more as uh, things to consider. Um, And uh, so here we go. What things are you allowing to shape your identity? Do you look like Christ? Do you look like God? What might it look like to have God be your doppelganger? If someone saw you on the street and said, hey, you, you know who you remind me of? God. That'd be crazy, right? Uh, but that's what Paul wants us to see here. Uh, have you contemplated your status as a beloved child of God? Have you just sat in that, in the good news of God's love for you, that you're a child of God, you're beloved, you're living in the light because of Christ? Have you allowed the magnitude of his love to leave you undone so that you can be built up into the image of Christ. Um, His love really is that good. And have you internalized the knowledge of God's love demonstrated in Christ's victory over sin and death where you feel safe, free, and loved with God? If the idea of God as father is hard, if the idea of a loving father is hard, uh, spend time with that this week. Spend time thinking on God's love. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us. And think, what might be preventing you from knowing and experiencing that love? Um, 
I have to remind myself of this over and over and over. Uh, sometimes I, I kind of think, you know, I'm going to get to the heaven and it'll be like, uh, I made it in through a loophole that, that God forgot to close, right? Like he doesn't really love me, but I believe in him. So he has to let me in. That is so backwards and wrong. He loves me. He loves me. He loves you, right? And so sit in that and experience that love and that goodness of God. Um, I pray that we all would experience that. And if, if you haven't experienced that love, uh, if you've felt distance from God, if you uh, want to experience that love, uh, we've got people that are praying during communion. Uh, you can come talk to me, whatever. We'd love for you to know that love of God. Uh, I'm going to pray, and uh, the worship team is going to come back up. Uh, and during worship, we're going to have communion. Right? We're going to go out. We're going to take the elements uh, representing Christ's body broken for us, his blood shed for us. Uh, and we do them in remembrance of him. We, we remember his sacrifice. We remember forgiveness. We remember God's wrath being poured upon Christ. Uh, but as you take those today, uh, take them as a remembrance of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? He shed that blood. He broke that body because of his love for us. Uh, so take it today as you eat and as you drink as a remembrance of that love. Uh, we practice open communion, which means that uh, you don't have to be a member uh, here at Hope. Uh, we just ask that you would uh, be a follower of Christ, that you would put your trust in him and uh, be following him. Um, I'm going to pray and then we're going to have some worship. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, you are good to us. Uh, your love is so deep and wide. Uh, it's unrelenting. It is faithful. It is loyal. It is redemptive. It restores. It heals. It casts out fear, Father. It brings us together. It creates us into one new people. It uh, draws us from the flesh into the spirit. It helps us to cast off the old self and become the new self, Father. It helps us move from darkness to light. It helps us move from hostility to peace, Father. All these things happen because of your love. And uh, we're grateful for that as we uh, consider the lists of do's and don'ts that we make or that we sometimes take away from scripture. We pray, we pray that you would penetrate our hearts and minds, that we would uh, do the identity work first, that we would rest our souls in your goodness. Uh, and out of that, uh, that we would delight in imitating you, that we would run to your arms, Father, that we would uh, mimic every smile and laugh and uh, every little thing that we see you do, that we would do it in delight, Father, uh, that we would uh, bring to you our fears and our failures, our tears and our laughter, Father, that we would uh, come to you as beloved children. Uh, we thank you for this time today. Uh, thank you for the reminder of your love. Uh, and even uh, this morning, I want to add a request talking about light and darkness. Uh, I want to pray for some sunshine this week. <laughs> uh, I think we all need it. Everyone's thinking it. Uh, surprise us, surprise the meteorologists uh, with some sunshine, Father. Uh, and uh, let us take that sunshine as a reminder uh, that we are children of light. Um, and uh, pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, one last thing, if nothing else, you can uh, go home and this week you can sing uh, I want to be like God, right? You can sing the old Michael Jordan uh, Gatorade commercial, but instead of being like Mike, be like God. <laughs>